Well, I have to confess that I, my, my brain must have gone to sleep because I was listening to the announcements, Pastor Vanderhart, and I heard you announce the Encore Senior Saints. The next thing I heard you say was inflatable obstacle course. And so are, are they having a, a particularly exciting time with Encore this year or, or not? Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow, yeah. Oh, I need somebody that's got last week's bulletin. Anybody got last week's bulletin? August 27? Anybody by any chance? I need to confirm an illustration, and I forgot to ask. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. You have one? Okay, good. Good. I'm going to come get it. And tell Katrina thank you. Thank you very much. I'll give it back to you. Okay, that's for later in the message. Take your Bibles, if you have one this evening, and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. We are talking about perilous times, but notice the perilous times are in the last days. Paul said that they were living in the last days in his days. So today we are living in the last days. Well, what are we to expect in the last days? He said, in the last days, in 2 Timothy 3, 1, you need to know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Now, we've spent several weeks now individualizing these characteristics of the last days or perilous times. Last week, we talked about false accusers. The week before that, truce breakers. Tonight, we're going to focus in on that word incontinent. Now, as I had a discussion this morning with an individual, as I read through my, my King James Bible, many of the words are not in modern use today. They're old English words. And so we're reading along, and we'll see a particular word. We don't say these and thou's too much in our typical syntax today. We say you, yours. When you read in the Bible, you don't know what some of these words mean. It's challenging. And so I'll oftentimes I spend a great deal of time looking up words to find out what they mean. What does that word, what does that word mean when Paul wrote it? When he was inspired to write these words, what did he mean then? And as we begin to understand the words that they meant then with a clearer understanding. And so we need to zero in on and focus and explore this word incontinent to find out what did it mean when Paul wrote it. So this evening, I've entitled it, When You Can't Stop Yourself. We need God's help to get into this, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. Lord, a day that, that we've set aside to honor and worship you. Lord, we're so negligent. And we fail so many times to set aside 
a day because we get so focused on our own needs and wants and activities. The Lord is so good to be able to meet back on a Sunday night and to sing praises to you and to get into your word and to study it and once again rely upon your Holy Spirit to teach us. Lord, I pray that you will be glorified in this time and I pray, Lord, we'll understand better what it means. When Paul said, in these perilous times, people are going to be incontinent. What's that mean? And how can we as, as your children stay away from this? Help us, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple definition of incontinent here. Now, this particular Greek word is powerless, without self-control. That's interesting because this particular word, this particular Greek word is only used one time in the New Testament. Only time is found right here. Incontinent. It makes it a little more challenging when you're doing a word study if it's just used one time. You can't compare it with other verses. You can't say, well, in this verse, the word was translated this way or used this way. In this verse, it was used this way. And to kind of give a, an under, a better understanding, well, if it's only used one time, you, you, you struggle a little bit. Um, some of the uh, dictionaries, one of them said it means unable to resist temptation. One commentator wrote, without strength to resist the solicitations of passion, or who readily yield to it. Another definition was self-indulgent. This word describes a lack of self-control. This particular Greek word refers to power. Here the power is lacking in the power to restrain yourself. Thirdly, profligate. It means a, a lacking in power. Not power in the sense of strength, but in the sense of self-control. In classical Greek literature, this word was used of those who lacked power to control their tongue, their anger, or their love of wine. So simply put, this particular word means to not have self-control, to be powerless to restrain yourself. Now here's another way to do the word study, and that's to take this original word, this Greek word, and find Greek words that come from this word. So you start with the original Greek word, and then you have to find out there are other words that are similar in usage to this particular Greek word. A different form, for instance. In the English language, we would say the word power, and we understand there are several definitions of the word power, but if we were to add the, the, uh, the suffix of L-E-S-S -S to the word power, it makes it a brand new word, a whole new word. It's now powerless. But we understand because of the root of power, we understand what's being talked about. The same thing with the Greek language. If you start with that original word, and then you can take and study other words that are similar, ones that come from this word, oftentimes you can get a broader understanding. So though the particular Greek word is only used one time, as we find through the scriptures, other times where similar words associated or from this particular word are used, our, our understanding broadens, case in point. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with a consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. 
Now in the English, it basically used the same word, but it's a different Greek word, a different understanding of the Greek word. It comes from, however, the same Greek word, incontinency. Now, now the frame of reference here is a married couple. Paul is saying, now don't defraud each other in, this, in, in your marriage physical relationship. Tensions in a marriage that would cause one or both partners to withhold intimacy to the other can lower their resistance to temptation and make them vulnerable to outside temptations. And he uses the word incontinency here. So we become vulnerable or our control, our self-resistance lowers. I call it Satan's marriage buster where one of the married partners decides to hold off and not fulfill the needs of the other married partner. Satan's marriage buster. Second word, a similar word in Matthew 23, 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Once again, this is a very similar Greek word. Here, translated excess. Now stop and think, think about for just a moment. Without control, without any power to resist yourself or restrain yourself, excess, eating or drinking too much. See how they dovetail in definition here. The hearts of the Pharisees were out of control with no restraint on their wicked ways. Matthew 23, 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. These Pharisees somehow justified themselves on foreclosing on mortgages of widows that got behind on their payments. They must have borrowed money from these Pharisees, and they justified foreclosing and taking their homes away from them. Why? Because of this particular word. They lived in excess. In Mark 7, verse 10, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is, with a capital C, Corban. That is to say, a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. We've spoken about this before. But the Pharisees had this way around, an end run around the law. The law said to honor your father and mother. And as they had needs, the law said take care of them. Ah, but some rabbi came along one sometime or another and said, If you, Pharisee, Choose, because of a higher responsibility, to take your funds, and instead of meeting the needs of your parents, you see a need in the temple. And you take those funds that were going to be used to help your parents, and you apply them instead to the temple, we're going to call that Corbin. And you are now free from the law. It doesn't matter what happens to your parents, you're free. Now, that's not in the law. That was rabbinical. In other words, they came out with an with a oral tradition to support that. And Jesus said, you are a hypocrite. Incidentally, 
also in their oral law, they could take that Corban money that was set aside for the temple use, and it could be used for any purpose except for helping the parents. Hypocrites, he said. They self-righteously, these Pharisees, crucified Jesus. Why did they crucify Jesus? In Mark 15, 9, But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should re rather release Barnabas unto them. The Pharisees, because of their excess, their lack of self-restraint, they delivered Jesus to be crucified because of living in envy. Another word? Another word means to be unrefraining, cannot cease. They're all similar words. This one's used in 2 Peter 2.14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. They cannot cease from sin. That's the word. This is looking through impure lenses. Looking at life through impure lenses. Eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. In other words, they're addicted. They're addicted to sin. This particular one being a sin of their eyes, looking and lusting. Beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practice. Cursed children. In Matthew 5, 28, the same word is used, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. This is when sight becomes sin. It goes beyond just, oh, I saw something, to, oh, I'm going to gaze on something. A totally different concept. In Titus 1.15, Unto the pure, I love this verse, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Here's what I took away from this. The best eye protection a man can have, a young, a young man can have, the best eye protection is a pure heart. If you have a pure heart, he will have the ability to see things purely. David was an amazing man. And I love studying David as a character in the Bible. He's a great leader, great man of God, very passionate soul. But we read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. 
This is David. One commentator writes, For several years he had been in a state of great trouble. But it was not in this state of trial and affliction that he offended. During this period, we see him exercising in a remarkable degree the faith, the resignation, the humility, the patience, the meekness of the servant of God. But now God had brought his troubles to a close. For some years he had been the most powerful monarch in that quarter of the world. These were his circumstances when he fell. When he became strong, then was he weak. David fell when he dropped his guard. Unrefraining cannot cease. Another Greek word. <clears throat> Found in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, it means to, to travel down a path or to journey. I scratched my head on this a little bit, but then it started to make sense. One is found in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. There it is. Scoffer is a mocker, is a false teacher. These are they who mock you for doing or saying something that supposedly offends their conscience. All the while, they are chasing after worldly pleasures. Hypocritical mockers are these. In Jude 1.16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And their mouth <coughs> speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These are they who grumble and complain constantly, also who are chasing after worldly pleasures. These are the hypocritical complainers. So this particular Greek word that comes from the same word means to walk down a path, and in these cases, walk down a path chasing your own lusts. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13 it describes the hopeless depravity of man. They are all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Boy, when God describes humanity, it's not very pleasing. It's not a real pretty sight. Mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, is deplorable, depraved. And that's what we are apart from Christ. What we are is walking down a journey, a path, chasing after all of our own appetites, all of our own lusts. Another Greek word is a word where we get the word bond slave or slave or servant. It means to bring under bondage or to make a servant. In 2 Peter 2.19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. So we're talking about having no self-restraint, no self-control, no self an inability to hold yourself back. Therein is the slave. He has become a servant to or a slave to a master. He has no control because he's at the control of the master. That's the concept behind the word. I thought of Esau. 
Here Esau is out working in the field all day long. Oh, he's so tired and hungry. And oh, here comes this hungry man, and he wants to eat something. Oh, he walks close to the, 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 uh, the, 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 the house. And, oh, he smells that food. That pottage is cooking on the stove. Wow. And all of a sudden, his appetites take over so strongly, it's like a bear inside of him. Give me food. He said, <coughs> Jacob said, I'd be happy to. Give me your birthright. And he did. He gave him his birthright just for some food. Why? Because he was so out of control. No self-restraint. Boy, it got bad. After he filled his stomach, realized what he had done, he got angry. Really angry. So angry he wanted to kill Jacob and made it very clear to everyone around that he wanted to kill his brother. In Genesis 25, 29, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. He did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Why? Because he became a slave. No self-restraint. In Romans 6, 12, he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Don't yield yourself to unrighteousness. Don't become a servant, a slave to unrighteousness. Instead, become a slave to righteousness, he says. This next word is just the opposite. This next word takes this idea of a lack of self-restraint and gives us restraint. It's found in a, a word which means self-control or to exercise self-restraint. And I, thro I throw this in there to, throw, to show the contrast. I say, stop the madness. Stop the crazy, out-of-control, lack of ability to hold yourself back and stop the madness. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. Paul said, but if they cannot contain, here's the word here. It means to have self-control. Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. If they cannot contain, if they can't have self-control, if they can't exercise self-restraint, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And if a Christian couple is in love and intending marriage, staying pure will likely become increasingly difficult. Paul said if they cannot contain or stay restrained, then they should get married. It's better to marry than to burn with desires or to burn from guilt. The same word is used in 1 Corinthians 
And every man that striveth for the mastery is, here it's temperate, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So this particular word is used as a purity protector, and it's also used as a success staple. It comes from a word meaning to be strong in something, self-controlled, temperate. Again, in Titus 1.7, for a bishop, a pastor, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and then this word, temperate, able to restrain. So what's the secret? <clears throat> How do you get to a place where you can restrain? How do you get to a place because our nature is a lack of restraint? In our flesh, no holes barred. If we have an appetite, we're going to fill it. So how do we get to a place where we are able to resist, able to have control? The Bible is pretty explicit. It tells us. In Ephesians 5.18, one place, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, being filled with the Spirit, leaves no room for sinful excess. What's the answer to so many of our problems? Wrong desires, wrong appetites, sin habits. You understand, if we are completely filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there's no room for us. There's no room for the flesh. So to have self-restraint, might be better described as having Spirit of God restraint. Spirit control. And how do I get that? By replacing me with Him. And now He is the one leading. He's the one directing. He is the one controlling. And He's pretty good at it. Lastly, <clears throat> Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. <clears throat> joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. For being filled with the Spirit crucifies the flesh. So how do we, you and I, the children of God, how do we not be like this characteristic that is defining perilous times of the last days. <clears throat> the world, how they are out there. How can we not be incontinent by being filled with the Spirit and allowing Him to control our lives? One of the most discouraging stories in the Bible, I think, is that of Solomon. God gave him an amazing gift of wisdom. 
Wisest man, I believe, apart from Christ. Incredible, incredible man. A man who knew better. But as Solomon got old, all of a sudden those many, many wives began to turn his heart away. In 1 Kings 11.3, and he had 700 wives. Princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And you might remember that Molech was one of the gods that the heathen would sacrifice their young children to. They would heat up this metal image until the arms would get white hot. They would begin chanting and dancing around this idol until there was such a fear and the noise was so strong they could not hear as the parents sacrificing their child would cast their child into that white hot arms of that false god, incinerating their child. But because of the noise, they could not hear the screams. Solomon, Solomon built an idol for Molech. Why? Because Solomon traded the Spirit of God for sensual pleasure. Solomon chased after not the filling of the Spirit, but fleshly appetites. You say, how can that be? How could someone as wise, someone who could have anything he wanted, do something so dastardly? Let me take you back to the garden and answer it this way. <clears throat> Adam and Eve had every pleasure imaginable. Can't begin to imagine what the fruits were like in the garden. Whew, I love good fruit. But what they were like in the garden. And they could have every tree. It's incredible. Every tree. I don't know how many there were. But oh, the diversity of trees they had in the garden. They were perfect. Incredible what they had to choose from. And God wanted to bless them. Wanted them to have a blessed life. And he said, you can have everything you see here except for just one. Just one which is the one they could not wait to partake of. And I'm sure in their minds they had no idea the severity of that one seemingly insignificant sin. But that one seemingly innocent sin killed all of humanity. Billions and billions of people since that time that have been cast into hell. Why? Because of one sin. A lack of self-control. A lack of spirit control. And exchanging the blessed Spirit of God for one's own fleshly desires. So what's the answer? 
The answer is you get up tomorrow morning and you yield your spirit to his. You yield your will to his. And then long about 8.15, when you get tempted again, yield your will to his. Until about noon, then do it again. About 2 o'clock, do it again. About 4 o'clock, do it again. About 6 o'clock, do it again. About 8 o'clock, do it again. Before you go to bed at night, do it again. Just continually through the day, yielding your will to his. Spirit control. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, and thank you for this sweet time. Lord, it's been good to be together in your house today. We're so blessed. I pray, Lord, that you might bless this evening and as we, uh, as we go home soon. And I pray, Lord, you might give us a great day tomorrow. And I pray that you be glorified in it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.